this is Sabrina Marie, host of the Building Abundant Success Series. Our primetime mastermind features George C. Fraser of FraserNet. We talk about corporate business structure over the last 50 years in America, and we also talk about his power networking conference coming up, as well as building generational wealth. Everybody go on over to FraserNet.com. George and I are coming at you right now. George Fraser, welcome back to the show. It's an honor to be back with you. No question about it. You are doing God's work, and I truly appreciate you, Sabrina. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's always a joy to uh, to talk to and interview with a very, very big brain and well, a very thank beautiful you. person. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank, thank you so much. We just got finished celebrating, you know, Martin Luther King's birthday and the legacy of the civil rights movement, and I was looking at the statistics of African Americans and how we've, you know, gone through the affirmative action and the Brown versus Board and many of the civil rights laws, but still unemployment and unemployment across the board. But for African American workers, it's different. You came from the corporate world. I wanted to know your views on this. I um, the 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 gap between white unemployment and black unemployment is 54 years old. There is nothing new about a double-digit gap or a gap between white unemployment and black unemployment being black unemployment being double what white unemployment historically has been. So since 1954, that gap has always been extraordinarily wide. There's a whole series of reasons why that gap has existed for nearly three generations. Um, so there's nothing new under the sun. When white people catch a cold, black people catch pneumonia. That has always been the case. And uh, that gap began back in 1954 when uh, white America abandoned urban America to move to the suburbs to get their kids away from black kids and to get into better schools. When they left the uh, uh, urban centers of, of the great cities of America, uh, they took their tax dollars with them. Uh, there was somewhat of a brain drain, and uh, our schools fell into disrepair all the way back to 1954. And education has historically, or poor education, has historically led to poorer opportunities, underemployment, and unemployment. And what we've seen happen in urban education in the last 50 years is the high school dropout rate has increased significantly. The sociological and pathological issues that plague our communities have increased significantly. Uh, the wealth gap between blacks and whites have widened certainly over the last 25 years. The unemployment gap, as I mentioned earlier, between blacks and whites uh, have widened really over 50 years. Uh, the education gap has widened between blacks and whites uh, over the last 50 years. And the gap between black men and black women in all three of those statistics is the widest has ever been. And we have more white people mentoring black people than blacks mentoring black children. So, um, but it all stems, the root cause of it is urban education in America. It is substandard. It is not preparing black children to be competitive in the 21st century. 
Um, there are, as I said, lots of complicated reasons. Um, it is a circular problem. It is a vicious cycle. And uh, unless we, black people, man up and woman up, uh, over the next 50 years, uh, we will be relegated to permanent second-class citizens, and we will be just a footnote uh, in, the, um, in the pantheons of history. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> now, the civil rights uh, laws that came into place in the 60s, really starting in the 50s, let's start there, Brown versus Board, and the fight for the civil rights movement for not only equal education, public accommodations, and the whole bit, and whatnot. What happened to that? Was it a good thing? Uh, did you think it was a good thing back at that time? Oh, sure. I was like the majority of black folk in America. Yeah, I thought it would be a good thing if if, if ultimately my children uh, could leave uh, their community and sit next to white children in the uh, suburbs of, of, of basically white America back then and hoping that their little white genes would jump into my child and uh, make my child smarter. Um, and therefore, we took on a whole notion of busing, leaving our schools uh, in urban America, going to white schools, hoping that these little white genes would jump into our children and make them smarter, uh, and hoping that the, the resources and tools that little white kids had that black children didn't have uh, in urban schools would impact uh, and affect uh, our ability to, to, to rise and to and, and to get uh, a, a better education. Well, none of that happened. Mm -hmm. And so it is a double-edged sword here. So, yes, civil rights did not lead to silver rights or economic equality. Let me say that differently. Sabrina, we are free, but we certainly are not equal. Let me repeat that. We are a free people in this great country, but we ain't equal by any stretch of the imagination. So civil rights work to allow us the freedom to move about and not be hung from the highest tree if we whistled at a white lady. Okay? Um, so that, that, was, that was good. That was good. That, you know, public access is good. The ability to drink at the same water fountain or to visit the same movie house as white people, that's a good thing. But when you abandon your own community, strip it of its brain power, its intellectual capital, strip it of uh, its tax base, and leave only the poorest of your people in that community to fend for themselves, and you do not return, because most of us have not returned. You know, we are, I got mine, you get yours. Uh, I'm not going to be infected by the diseases that, that plague urban America. Uh, crime and violence and misogyny and you know all the things we hear about in, in black music and read about uh, and view on CNN and Fox News. No, I'm not going to be a part of that. So I'm not coming back. And uh, so we abandon our own communities. Don't, don't go back to those communities. And now we have what we have. We have what we have. And it has infected multiple generations of our people. And ultimately, um, if Dr. King were to come back here today, 50-plus years after his dream, 
uh, he would be ecstatic that Barack Hussein Obama is president. Uh, he predicted that, by the way. Uh, and he would be very angry with black people about every single thing else. We have literally, in the last 50 years, in the last two and a half generations, have gone backwards. We're at the bottom of every single statistic that matters in America. Now, you can blame it on white people if you want to. You can blame it on public policy or the government not doing enough. Um, and, and I think those two finger-pointing, there would be some small portion of that that would be true. But I deeply believe the old adage, uh, when you point your finger at someone else, there are four fingers pointing back at you. Oh, yeah. So I believe that fundamentally, um, wherever black people are going in the 21st century as it relates to business development, economic development, closing the income and wealth gap, closing the unemployment gap, closing, closing the wealth gap, Wherever we're going in the 21st century, uh, it will be because we will take our people there. Mm -hmm. That no one will do this for us but us. Mm. That's what I believe. We must man up and woman up and do it. And we have the capability and the creativity and the brilliance and the genius to do it. That God has given us everything we need to succeed in this great country. We have everything we need to succeed, Sabrina, except each other. That's 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 what I'm going to tell you. That's what I'm going to lay on your audience tonight. We have every single thing we need except each other. Jews have each other. Asians have each other. East Indians have each other. Arabs have each other. We don't have each other. And therefore, God has said to me, to say to you or your audience that he ain't given us anything else until we demonstrate to God that we can be better stewards of that which we already have. And when we demonstrate to God that we can be better stewards of that which we already have, we will demonstrate to the world and we will demonstrate to ourselves, most importantly, that we are a force to be reckoned with. Sabrina, we are a $920 billion annual economy, black people in America. If we were a nation, we would be the 16th richest economy, the 16th richest nation in the entire world. You could take every country in sub-Saharan Africa, including Madagascar and the Cape Verde Islands, combine their gross domestic product, and it would not equal the $920 billion that black people bring to the table in a single year. But our money goes in one direction, away from us, and with some of America's most conspicuous consumers. We have taken the art of consumption to a whole new level. We do not produce what we buy, and we do not sell what we buy. Mm -hmm. We are a community of, of consumers. We are the cultural, we are the consuming pistons to this economic engine called America. So we have money. We have, let me say that differently, we're not poor, Sabrina. We're just broke. Right. We're not 
goes in one direction away from us, okay? Um, and we are a consuming culture and not a producing culture. We buy cars and we rent homes. We have it ass backwards, okay? You so do. there's a yeah. there's yeah. a level of economic illiteracy in our community that must be fixed. We are an economically illiterate people. Therefore, we must change our habits and our kitchen table conversation. And we're brilliant people, too. I mean, we have education. I mean, make no mistake about it. We're not an illiterate people. Um, we have surpassed W.E.B. Du Bois' dream of the talented tenth, his 90-year-old dream. If at least 10% of black people could get the finest education possible, they would then get that education. They would then come back to their community. By the way, he meant a, high, a college education. Mm -hmm. uh, they would come back to their community. They would invest in their community. And that 10% alone, the talented tenth, would uplift the entire race. Well, we have surpassed the boy's dream. Nearly 19% of black people in America have at least a four-year college degree or better. So, said another way, we have a lot of PhDs in our community. We now need some PhDs, right? So we are we <laughs> yeah. have intellectual capital. We are brilliant people over the last generation. Just the baby boomer generation alone. Just the babe, my generation alone. We have amassed over 500 billion hours of formal education and professional training from just one generation alone. Right? If you wanted to put a dollar value on that, and, and you wanted to value each hour of education and professional training at just ten bucks an hour, and try to get an education or professional training for ten bucks an hour, but let's be conservative for the sake of this equation. That would mean that our collective intellectual capital base from one generation alone, the baby boomer generation alone, is worth in excess of five trillion dollars. Right? Mm -hmm. So we have brain power. And here's an interesting statistic you never hear. 60% of the black workforce in America, 9 million of us, are in executive, managerial, supervisory, professional specialty, vocational, technical, administrative, sales, and business ownership positions. That is an army of potential role models and mentors to help those who are stuck in the cycle of poverty. In fact, there is no army in the entire world larger than the army and the number of black people that have succeeded in this country. So make no mistake about it, but you know, success runs in our race. But we are squandering these resources. We are squandering these resources. We will be the baby boomers. We'll be the first generation of Africans in America to raise another generation of Africans in America that will not do better than them. So our forefathers and ancestors must be rolling over in their grave. Of nearly 400 years, we are the only generation to raise another generation of black people that will be worse off. We need our asses kicked, mm -hmm. right? You can mm -hmm. count me out of that equation. <laughs> I will not contribute to that. That's mm. an insult. What are we thinking? What are we doing? And so we have to fix that. I don't know who else will fix that. I'm not convinced that it is in the best interest of anyone more than us to fix that. And I believe that we can and I believe that we must, but we must do it through what I call connecting the dots, mm -hmm. leveraging, leveraging more effectively our collective resources and intellectual capital. And I just laid out for you 
what that is. I mean, there is a beautiful passage in the Bible, John 5.30. It is a direct quote from Jesus Christ. And it goes like this. And it's, Jesus said, I of my own self can do nothing. Now, this was Jesus. Mm-hmm. Jesus couldn't get it done on his own, by himself, in a vacuum. So what's up with black people? Why would they think they could do anything significant on their own, by themselves, in a vacuum? It is not possible. This passage says to me that we were born to network, that we were born to collaborate, that we were born to unite, that we were born to work with and through each other. It was the great Howard Thurman who said, community is the purpose toward toward which life moves. Right? He also said that life is against all things that separate and divide within and without. Life labors to melt together into into a single harmony. But we don't get that. Jews understand that. Asians understand that. East Indians understand that. Arabs understand that. We don't get that. And so until we get that, we will not get to the promised land. That is the peace that is missing. We have everything else. Mm-hmm. We just don't have each other. And therefore, we are divided, we're conquered, our resources squandered, uh, and, and abused. Shame on us. Yeah, most definitely. I would ask this question because I know my audience was, you know, somebody's going to send this question in. What did you think of affirmative action and was it a band-aid or was it a help? I think that affirmative action was important, but it was not a savior. It was important. It was an important strategy or tactic at that moment in time in which we needed the government to step in and say to companies doing business with the government, the biggest, the biggest trough in the world, that you must set aside XX for those who have had, uh, 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 who, for those who have been oppressed and which you have had a 350 year head start. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, and that's why, you know, I never poo poo the role of the government and public policy. Now, the government is not going to save us, right? Mm -hmm. But we will save us. We will save us. But the government does have a role. And whatever our demands are of this great country, and we pay taxes and we expect a return on our investment like anybody else that pays taxes, whatever we demand as it relates to our fair share of this great government that, that is governing us, and I don't, I've never been in a country where there's a better system than ours, mm-hmm. okay? Um, uh, that, that, that we know that public policy oftentimes is critical to force those who are greedy not to do the morally grounded and spiritually rooted right thing. Okay? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. let me say that another way. For those who poo-poo public policy, 
it was public policy that freed us. Mm-hmm. It was public policy, Sabrina, that got us civil rights, voting rights, and public access. It was public policy that killed Trayvon Martin. Mm-hmm. So public policy has a significant role in our lives, but it will not save our lives right. because we have had several uh, very key pieces of public policy put in place so that you and I can sit uh, in our bunny slippers and have this conversation, right? right? And, and, and our lives can exist at, at least some level of normalcy, right? right? But at the same time, we do know what the egregious statistics are in our culture and in our community. So it has not completely saved us. Um, and, and And so... That that means that there are things that we're going to have to do, that black people are going to have to do, to come to, 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 as the final pieces of this puzzle called equal opportunity, um, and, and and we're going to have to man up and woman up. I keep, I keep saying that I, I, the great Gardner Taylor, Reverend Doctor Gardner Taylor, the founder of the Progressive Black Baptist Movement. I don't know how much you know about that movement mm-hmm. because of Gardner Taylor, um, the National Baptist Convention um, would not support Dr. King when he came north That's for right. the civil rights movement. They told him to leave them white people alone. You're making us nervous, mm-hmm. right? You're making them nervous. You and and, and, and and go back down south, which you're agitating. That's what the National Black Baptist Convention said to Dr. King when he sought their help. And it was Gardner Taylor, who was a big player in the National Baptist Convention, said, no, that is not right. This man is doing God's work. We are going to support him. This movement is for everybody, and um, we are going to support him. And that split the black Baptists. That's what started the progressive movement and continued the National Baptist Movement. So it was Gardner Taylor, this visionary man, who asked black people 25 years ago, the ultimate question. And the question is, are we worthy of our legacy? Mm-hmm. A 250-year fight for freedom from 1619 to 1864 and a 100-year fight for civil rights, voting rights, and public access. Are we, boomers, Gen X and Y, are we worthy of that legacy? And if, in fact, we feel that we are worthy of that legacy, the next big question, Sabrina, is what will then be our legacy? What will our children's 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 children be saying about us 150 years from now? What are we leaving our children? That's huge. What will be our legacy? I believe it must be a legacy of economic equality. Most definitely. Yes. I mean, that's the fight that Dr. King was going to wage. He spoke to that in his mountaintop speech in Memphis the night before he was killed. Also considered one of the greatest speeches Dr. King ever gave. 
many people think it's greater than the I have a dream speech. It is the, it is the speech that says, I will not, I may not get there with you. This was mm-hmm. a, an impassioned mm-hmm. plea that the next fight was economic equality, that we must mm-hmm. boycott companies that did not do right by our people. So I believe that must be the fight. Mm. And But that fight, that fight is exacerbated and complicated by the fact that we are not properly educated and that we are not entrepreneurial thinking and that we are not creating work and jobs for our people. And so t- nearly 30 years ago, I started FraserNet. And we are a global leadership network focused on economic development through education, training, and empowerment for black people, right? Mm-hmm. And our focus is simply to train and to educate and to equip black people with new skills, new thinking, new tools, and new approaches for personal, professional, financial success in the 21st century. And we have two simple goals. We've been working on these goals for nearly 30 years, and these goals will not be achieved for 100 years. So I will be just one generation. When I'm finished with doing God's work and he calls me home, I will pass these goals on to the next generation. And they will pass it on to the next generation. And they will pass it on. And maybe in a hundred years, we will achieve these two goals. But we're 30 years into it, right? Mm -hmm. What are those two goals? To build wealth, Mm-hmm. in the black community that can be transferred intergenerationally. Right? So it is not to say, as you heard me say earlier, that we do not have wealth. We're just not transferring it. Right? It's, it's, if we don't... We, all right, we, 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 I said, what did you hear me say? We, we're the first generation to raise another generation that will be worse off. So we do not have en masse... Mm-hmm an intergenerational transfer of wealth strategy. Here comes the next question now. We have seen over the last, say, 110 years, uh, the black, the rise of you know, black middle class, education, public accommodations, uh, affirmative action, and we've seen many blacks that defy the odds to become not only middle class, upper middle class, and wealthy. And so you see people make astronomical amounts of money, whether they be athletes, entertainers. We can be the entertainer. But when it comes to the white-collar worker, we still have that discrimination. I was looking at some of the black voices and their subjects of black unemployment driven by white America favors for friends. U.S. workers, loss of hope for high-wage jobs. And then the corporate America, blindness to gender discrimination. They don't say race, but race has to play in there also. What do you say to us just being the entertainer? Because that's what many people, white and black, will say. Hey, we've got white, these black entertainers, they're making all kinds of, look at Beyonce, look at Jay-Z. Hey, come on. (laughs) What do you say to that? Well, I think we are great entertainers, no question about that, and we're great athletes. But I don't believe that God has put us here to entertain white people. I mean, is that the only thing we can do? And by the way, if you look at the statistics, look at the statistics 
there are less than 10,000 black people in America earning $100,000 or more singing, dancing, playing football, baseball, or basketball, okay? But there are 44 million of us, all right, in this country. In fact, there are more black brain surgeons than there are uh, stars in the NFL, all right? Mm-hmm. Uh, make no mistake about it. We can go on and on and on. So I don't think we're limited to singing, dancing, playing football, baseball, or basketball. I think if God has gifted you with the ability to do that, well, then you go pursue that. But I don't think that that should be, uh, you know, the brass ring for black people. How about making something? How about producing something? How about selling to your people what we buy? How about producing or making what we buy? How about owning the rich lands of Africa where there's diamonds and gold and copper and bauxite, right? How about owning the banking systems that run these countries in spite of the fact that they have chased away the colonialists? You go into most of these countries, big corporate uh, 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 America and uh, uh, England and own the real wealth of those lands, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, we may uh, be the presidents and the prime ministers uh, and control the political systems and all of these countries in which we chase out the colonialists, but we still don't control, for the most part, the economy, the money, the power. Hmm. And uh, we don't. We just don't. It would be wonderful if we did, but we really don't. Um, and so we need, we need to fix that, uh, just as we don't really control our money. Although we could be one of the the richest countries in the world, the 16th richest in the world, with the accumulated buying power that we bring to the table each year in black America, but we don't really control that, Mm. right? What what control? We are medicated people, right? Mm. We are medicated people. We are medicated by consumption or consumerism were medicated by the real housewives of Atlanta, basketball (laughs) wives, and the preachers of L.A. That's what we're medicated by. We watch those programs in huge numbers. They get huge ratings. Ratings means advertising, and advertising means dollars. Um, so, we again, we are the engine for those dollars. So we're, we're medicated by the entertainment. We're medicated by what people say we can do and what we can't do. We're medicated um, uh, you know, by 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 consumption, and, 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 and we we are still suffering from uh, a, a, a slavery, the syndrome, post uh, stress disorder around the 350 years of slavery and oppression. That has impacted how we think, how we deal with each other, the self-hatred that we have among ourselves, the lack of trust, the lack of unity, cooperation, 
and collaboration. Okay? Now, I believe we will overcome. I believe that at some point in time, uh, not while I'm living, but at some point in time in this continuum of life, um, we will, we will overcome this, 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 this stress disorder that we have. Um, but until such time, we have a lot of work to do. And uh, I'm not sure the answer for all black people uh, is in the corporate world. I think it is for some. I think it takes a certain kind of mindset, takes a certain kind of discipline, takes a certain kind of patience. But generally speaking, um, I didn't talk to you about the second goal. The second goal that I've been working on for 30 years is to make black people the number one employer of black people in the 21st century. Yeah. Right? That's great. That's the second goal. That means that we have to move from an old school mantra of get a good education and get a good job, which would, which is what our parents wanted for us, because they couldn't get it in the early 1900s when they were growing up or the mid-1900s, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what they wanted for their children. But that's not what I'm teaching my two sons. I've taught them to get a good education and to create a job. And to create a job for yourself, to create a job for your children. If God gives you the power and the glory, create work and jobs for your people. Right? So we must begin to think more entrepreneurial. We must stop operating out of fear. See, when you operate out of a culture of fear, which is what we operate out of, we will not take the necessary risk, not all, but too many and most, will not take the necessary risk to do our own thing, to develop our own businesses to think even entrepreneurial. See, whenever I, I worked in the public and private sector for nearly 20 years at Procter Gamble, United Way, and the Ford Motor Company. wouldn't trade it for anything, right? But I was always entrepreneurial. I was always there to learn at the feet of the masses, to learn what I could, right? Uh, uh, and, then to, uh, uh, and then to take ownership in my responsibilities in uh, those businesses at that time, and then to pivot on that and come out of that system and create my own. Mm. That was entrepreneurial thinking that in- evolved into entrepreneurial thinking. And, and those places taught me lots of lessons. I saw everything you could possibly imagine. Remember, I entered into the, the corporate world in the 70s and, and 80s, right? This is first generation uh, boomers, really, uh, getting jobs that our parents could not have ever thought of. So it was very, very, very valuable experience, and most importantly, I learned it was not a place that I wanted to uh, uh, to spend the rest of my life. It was a place I wanted to learn, mm-hmm. and they were the best at what I wanted to. I wanted to be in business, and, and so you, I wanted to learn the, the masters of business, of marketing and selling, and it was Procter and Gamble, and uh, I, I had an Ilya Masonary bent, and in other words, uh, I, I wanted to. I, I, I had a charitable edge to me as well, and so I wanted to learn from the best charitable organization in America, United Way. So I was, I was vice president of United Way, director of communications and marketing, and uh, and so I, so uh, those were valuable lessons, but not to stay there, but to come back, bring that information to my people, to employ my people, train them in the things that I've learned, and to and to engage in social entrepreneurship, and that's what. 
appraiser that is. We are engaged in social entrepreneurship. In other words, the profits, the millions of dollars of profits that we've earned in 27 years have all been reinvested back into the community to improve the condition of our community, to, to create products and services and tools that improve the condition of our people. That's social entrepreneurship. I don't rec- recommend it for everyone, but, it, but more of us should be doing it. Well, I wonder, I, I, yeah, this is great. 100% agree. Now, you're connect the dots in terms of le- leveraging. I know people are going to want you to elaborate a little more on this program. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I uh, just launched a crowdfunding initiative called the Connect the Dots Movement, Unite, Mobilize, Engage. I believe those are the three things in the 21st century that our people must do if we're going to make hay while the sun shines. And 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 and, and what do I mean by unite? I mean we've got to unite in a sense by expanding our network. Alright? We have to everybody has to expand their network of people. I have a very expansive network and it's through that network that it has allowed me to grow and to prosper and to access the time, talent and treasure of the many people in my network to help grow my to, to grow my ideas, to grow my vision for our people and to grow my business, okay? And to earn money. Why? Because money is the mother's milk of all intentions. Let me repeat that. Money is the mother's milk of all intentions. And without money, brothers and sisters, all you have is a great damn intention. But you can't do anything. Not in America. Not in a democratic, capitalistic society. Because we know that the only color that really matters in America is green. So until our pile of green is as big and as high and as deep and as leveraged as any other cultural group's pile of green, we will never be considered an equal at the table of democratic capitalism. So, A, we must expand or unite by expanding our network. So I created a new tool that we're going to launch this year called NetDirect. It's an online directory of black resources, all right? And it's free membership. It gives you access uh, to expand your personal next, uh, network. You get access to coaching and mentoring and new resources. You get easy access to jobs and contacts and customers and new opportunities. And, again, it's a simple way to access the best businesses in our community and to recycle our dollars. So it's a new product. Let's call it LinkedIn in blackface, okay? That's wow. the kind of product it will be, right? I'm not a- suggesting that anybody uh, not – you know, use LinkedIn. It's a wonderful tool, but we should have our own kind of LinkedIn, and that's what NetDirect will be. The next product is a product that will help us to mobilize for collective power and cloud, and that product or tool is One Voice. It's Black America's Advocates for Change. That's really what it is. It's really change.org in blackface, right? It will mm-hmm. be our way to demonstrate collective power and clout, to leverage our buying power and to save our mo- and to save money. And it will be our way, an easy way to support important causes and issues in organizations that are critical to black America. So let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Right now, we know that Apple Computer has no black people on their board. They used to have one, but they don't have one anymore. And in the last three years, we've spent nearly $2 billion on Apple equipment, black people in America. Mm-hmm. So through one voice, with the click of a mouse, you can sign a petition 
I could collect 50,000 petitions of African Americans demanding that Apple strongly consider an African American for the board. Mm-hmm. That's called One Voice. That's a new tool. All right? We're using mm-hmm. technology for these tools. All right? The third product or tool uh, is for engagement. And what, I, what do I mean by engagement? Um, engagement in education, engagement in lifelong learning, constant never-ending improvement, and personal growth and development. That uh, the 21st century for us must be about lifelong learning, right? That the mm-hmm. days of average is over. So I've created two products to help us to engage in learning short-term and long-term. The first one is a, is a tool called BrainShare, uh, sharing our ideas and getting your questions answered. That's really what it is. What it, what it, what it is is it, it's an online discussion board powered by a 100 or more black coaches with a wide variety of subject matter expertise. So it's daily coaching and guidance. You can get your questions answered. You can get your ideas vetted. You can point your question to a subject matter expertise or everybody on the discussion board can help answer your question. And this is a way to get, again, daily coaching and guidance, get expert answers to your business and wealth questions, and get you know, and, and connect daily with experts and peers and potential mentors and coaches. Okay? So that's mm-hmm. called brain share. Mm-hmm. Brain share. It's an online discussion board for us, all right, to engage in daily coaching and guidance. And then the final tool is called Flash Learn. This is for long term engagement and personal growth and development. And this is sort of bite sized learning from America's best coaches and experts. So what it is, it is, it, I don't know, are you familiar with TED.com? I've heard of it, yes. Ted, yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Oh, this this is Ted.com in blackface. Great. Okay, this is bite-sized training, online tutorials in bite-sized pieces, seven to ten minutes long, to improve your business skills and your wealth building skills. Free tutorial videos, mm-hmm. webinars, seminars, Google Hangouts, teleconferences to help people to grow fast. Um, and, and, and to do better, all right? So that's awesome. flashing. So those are the four new online tools using technology as our platform so that we can change our situation. So I'm asking people to go to Connect the Dots Movement, Connect the Dots Movement, Dot net, connect the dots movement dot net. That will take you right to our Indiegogo crowdfunding. And I'm asking you to look through that. And make a donation. Make a donation because if you really peel back the onion on this, Sabrina, this is for our children. Mm-hmm. This is for our children. We must ramp up their game because the days of average is over. We have to be excellent or amazing at whatever we do. If not, we're going to be marginalized. Make no mistake about that. So this whole technology platform of four incredible tools is for our children. So come come to uh, connectedoutsmovement.net, connectedoutsmovement.net. It'll take you to the Connected Outs Movement Indiegogo crowdfunding site. Help us save 
future generations of our children, leave a legacy of economic equality for our children, and we can provide them with new tools to learn, earn, and return. That's the new mantra coming out of PhrasingNet for 2014. Learn, earn, and return. We've got to ramp up our skills, learn, education is the platform, it's the key. That will enable us to earn at the levels that we deserve to earn so that we can fund the things necessary in our community that need funding, and then we can return to the community, lift down, reach down and lift up and reach back and pull forward. And so I say to everyone listening, for as little as five bucks, you can participate in our crowdfunding site for as little as $5, you get access to all those tools I just described free of charge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you can help build somebody's future. Our kids will win, the community win, will win, and the world will win. So if you don't want to do it for yourself, if you think you're all down in the bag of chips and you don't need <laughs> these tools, right, and you're doing okay, and uh, this, you know, this ain't for you, well, then just think about our children. Think about the future generations. Um, because our children will have it much tougher than we had it. Mm-hmm. So that is the crowdfunding initiative I'm so proud of, I'm so excited about. We've already got a lot of traction on it. and We want to set the Guinness Book of World Records of the largest number of people ever to support a crowdfunding initiative in the history of crowdfunding. I think we can do that. I think we can silence yes. the haters. Let's silence the haters who say we will not uh, unify, we will not collaborate, and we will not cooperate. Black people just don't do that with black people. They may do it with white people, but they don't do it with each other. I say, silence those haters. Let's prove to the world that we can come together. We can help ourselves. We can create new tools, and we can leverage technologies. Our president leveraged technology to make history. Awesome. This is just wonderful information, and I challenge my on-the-cusp Millennials also to get involved with this and go to the website and to donate. Mm-hmm. This is just wonderful. Now, one question I had in my mind uh, that I've heard not only from a couple African Americans but a lot, a lot of other people: um, there should be no separation of the races. Now, we 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 should have equality. Now, there should be no need for BET. There should be no need for TV One and. And uh, Miss Black America, there shouldn't be any need for any of these. What do you say to those individuals? Um, I don't want to use the language that I'm inclined to use. <laughs> but you understand what I mean. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely absurd for that to even come out of anybody's mouth. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to say that, because I hear that when I go on, let's say, white radio or or something other than black radio, I hear that all the time as a common criticism of my comments. Why are you so race-obsessed? That's what I hear, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Why does it have to be black magazines? Mm -hmm. Why does it have to be black newspapers? Why does it have to be black radio and black television? And I simply say to all those who say that to me. Why does there have to be Jewish newspapers, Mm -hmm. Jewish colleges, Catholic colleges, Mm 
Why does it have to be Arab newspapers and Hispanic newspapers and Hispanic television? Why? Because we have cultural proclivities and cultural affinities and cultural bonds that are different than other cultural groups. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, Asians have Asian television. I've watched it myself. It's quite quite interesting. I learn a lot about Asians. I watch Hispanic television, and I learn about their culture and their proclivities and how they bond and what's important to them because it is the right thing to do. That's why we have to have, um, uh, you, they call it separation. I call it diversity. Okay, mm-hmm. that's why we need diverse uh, uh, information, access to uh, access to diverse information, so that we can learn about each other, so that we can grow. And I say this to my white friends: that the only thing you know about black people is what you read in the newspapers. Mm-hmm. You see, and we know what you read about us in the newspapers and what you see on television. But understand that black people know a hell of a lot more about white people than what white people know about us. Why? Because we wiped your ass. Mm -hmm. We took care of your children. We cleaned up your vomit. We picked your cotton. Mm -hmm. Right? We Mm -hmm. taught your children. Right? We cleaned your home for 350 years. We know you. You don't know us. And you need to. Amen. Amen. This has been a great, great segment as usual, George. Thank you so much for coming back on. I thank you. Keep doing God's work, and let's stay connected. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye.